Hello, I'm Jake Lloyd and welcome to How to Build Community, a podcast and radio show brought to you by Aruka Network. In this episode, you'll hear about a group of barbers based in the UK who are using their job of cutting hair to help reduce male suicide. Once I started looking into suicide and realised that suicide is the biggest killer in young people in the UK and over 75% of them are men, so it's, it's a huge problem. And when I looked into it more and more and more, people just wanted to talk to people. People wanted to have someone to listen to them uh, with empathy and without judgment. And I realised that actually we've been doing that for years already. That's the voice of Tom Chapman. He helped launch the Lions Barber Collective. They're a group of barbers working to make barbershops worldwide a safe space for men to talk about mental health. And like a lot of the best ideas, it's a simple one. So rather than me talking about it, we're just going to get straight into my interview with Tom. And when I spoke to him a little while ago, I began by asking him how he started cutting hair in the first place. I was at... Uh, further education sixth form in the uk and you're forced into the next bit of higher education and the next thing for me would have been university i didn't really know what i wanted to do and i was told to fill out my forms and go for whatever i was interested in so i was looking at doing ancient history and egyptology actually because you got to go to egypt and see the pyramids which i thought was really interesting but i wasn't going to go to university for the right reasons it was more about having fun and yeah, I would have spent my student loan on probably live music and tattoos if I'd had my choice. Um, and then I used to do my own hair all the time. I, used, I, had, I think I had a pink Mohican at the time, something like this. And my mum said to me, well, why don't you do hairdressing? And uh, it never even occurred to me that was something I could do for a living. Obviously, I knew that people were hairdressers or barbers, but I never thought of it as something that I could go down because it was never ever suggested to me. And all my um, teachers used to say to me every week, oh, what's your hair going to be like next week? We like your hair. And mm. they were aware that I was doing that. But none of them ever suggested it to me when I was unaware of what I wanted to do to move forward with my career. Uh, and when I went and told them, actually, a majority of them were disappointed in my choice because I had predicted grades to go to university. Mm-hmm. Hairdressing was seen as something you did if you couldn't do anything else. The only person that actually supported me was my sociology teacher. Mm. Um, she thought it was great because I was a heterosexual male going into a hairdressing industry and it wasn't the social norm. Um, but it was the best thing I ever did. I went and volunteered to work in Tony and Guy. Um, so when I was finishing my levels, I was working a job on a Sunday, um, my schooling Monday to Friday. And then I was volunteering on Saturdays in the local Tony and Guy hairdressing store. And that got my foot in the door. And when it came to the end of my, uh, A levels and the, the summer started, they actually, took me on as a full-time apprentice and that's how it that's how it kind of started really obviously hair then became your passion um presumably the the conversations you had with people in the barber chair that that became your passion as well ever since i can remember even when i first started and i was in that staff room and they had something like 25 staff i think in in that salon people would always say that they were seen as therapists and counselors as well as hairdressers and barbers People would come and tell us everything, and, and it was kind of joked about, really. But it really was true. I think people come and sit in the chair, and they tell you, tell you everything. There's a big, a big level of trust there. Um, I think when I was younger, I wasn't aware of it as much. I knew it was happening. I knew that people would talk to us and confide in us. But um, I wasn't sort of aware of what they were doing, you know? I kind of just sort of mm-hmm. took it as every day. Um, I never really took too much on board, which I suppose was probably a good thing because it didn't weigh me down with worry and stress they were able to vent 
but I was able to just sort of kind of let it go and 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 be a a resource for them to get everything off their chest if they needed to. It's it's quite a kind of intimate thing, isn't it? Having having a a stranger really touching touching your head in your head. Do you think that d- does that help people? Encourage people to to open up that that are, this kind of boundary's already been been crossed. Yeah, definitely. I mean, from from six, 17 years ago when I started at Tony and Guy, I was doing it was a unisex, so I was doing uh, men and women's hair, and. Uh, it's kind of weird because I was one of the only guys in there. A lot of the girls and women that came in like to have me cut their hair or like to have a man cut their hair. I don't know why that connection is there. But they would tell us things that maybe they wouldn't tell other girls. I don't know. But there was that sort of unique sort of connection there. And I think being part of – you're touching very personal areas, aren't you? Your neck, your face, and mm. your hair. If I was to do that to a stranger on the street, it would be very odd, and especially in our culture. It would be very odd yeah, and weird yeah. if I came up to you and – first time I met you and started touching your <laughs> your neck and hair, running my fingers through your hair <laughs> you think what's going on and then moving forward you know to, to now probably the last seven or eight years I've really focused on men's hair and barbering and again it's another even more unique situation in the sense that guys don't really talk to other guys about these sorts of things I think there's a worry of sense of pride or being seen to be weak or but when they sit in the chair and it's even more rare for a guy to touch another guy's face neck hair but as soon as that barrier is broken down you're in their personal space there's that level of trust the client trusts you with a, a razor blade or scissors or clippers they trust you to make them look good for the next six weeks or four weeks or two mm. weeks and i think that combined with the fact that although some people i've known for 17 years cutting their hair i've never seen them outside of work so they know they can trust me they trust me for 17 years they've told me all sorts of things about their life but they know that i'm never going to be involved with any of their friends or social circles so they can come in and tell me they're having an affair and they know that they don't want to get back to anybody Mm, mm. one less confidentiality with your client anyway but you know what it's like if you told your friend and they said i'm not going to tell anyone and then you know things get back to other people that they know but i don't know anyone so even if i wanted to tell somebody it wouldn't it wouldn't get back to them but i mean i've heard all sorts of things people tell me good things bad things Mm. I've heard, yeah it's uh it's a really really interesting interesting role in the community really being the barber being sort of a pillar of uh of that community absolutely so, so tom tell us how the lions barbers collective started in 2015 i was kind of really getting into barbering then i mean i was really really focusing on my photography work and i was interacting and networking with lots of big big name barbers around the, around the uh country and I suggested that it would be a good idea for us to collaborate and everyone donate a picture of a haircut, like a professional shot. Mm-hmm. And we create a lookbook and then raise money for charity. I got a group of guys, about 30 guys together, they're all keen to do it. And we were talking back and forth in a group chat about what charities it should be for. And there were lots of great suggestions, but it was things that I'd always I'd heard before, a lot of like men's cancer. And I felt that there was a lot of awareness for them already. And not that they're not great charities, but I felt there was a lot out there and I wanted something that was a little bit different. I felt needed that awareness. And then one of the guys from Ireland said, um, what about suicide prevention? And that would just hit me really hard because I wasn't aware of that even occurred to me. And I'd actually lost a friend to suicide about 12 months before that. Mm. So that made me think, well, if I'm completely unaware of any, that wasn't even, you know I mean? if that didn't even come into my head and I've lost someone to it, then how many people out there are suffering or have, 
have lost people and aren't aware of what's available for you out there, all these amazing resources. So that kind of sealed the deal for me on what we were going to raise money for. Mm-hmm. That was a really long project. It was really hard work. I think I probably took on more than I uh, more than I could chew at the time. We just had my first son about a month later after this first comment was made. So I was kind of on paternity, getting all this stuff sorted out, and it was it was it was a hard drag, but it it was definitely worth it. But after quite soon after that, I kind of realised that you know that we were these counsellors and therapists. You know, like I said to you before. I hadn't really thought about it properly, but once I started looking into suicide and realised that suicide's the biggest killer in young people in the UK, and over seventy-five percent of them are men, mm. and uh, you know globally someone dies by suicide every forty seconds, so it's, it's a huge problem. And when I looked into it more and more and more, people just wanted to talk to people. People wanted to have someone to listen to them, have uh, with empathy and without judgment. And I realised that actually we've been doing that for years already. Mm. and we have such a unique position so that's when we came up with the idea to kind of it was just going to be initially just a book a one-off but that's when I decided that actually I wanted to push it further for the person that I lost and because we had such a fantastic position in society to help so and and then how how does the Lions Barbers collective work now well I mean we've come a long way from that um it was originally like say a group of 30 barbers just putting that one book together and now We've got a board of trustees. We became a charity just over a year ago. Oh, it's just, it's crazy to think how far we've come. When you sit and when you ask me that question now, sitting here thinking about it from a one-off lookbook to what we are now with a full chari- registered charity, a board mm-hmm. of trustees behind us. We um, have a lot of goals and aspirations for the year. I mean, I, I just had a phone call from the Royal Foundation and the Duke of Cambridge, Prince William wants to meet me wow. to talk about the Lions. Um, we won an award from the prime minister uh points of light awards for outstanding volunteer work we've you know those kind of things just you know uh blow your mind to think how far we've come uh, we're developing our barber talk training which is probably the biggest thing for me um it's something i've wanted to do for the last three years but it's <clears throat> trying to work out the best way of delivering it and the most efficient way of delivering it to help people and for a long time it was going to be a in-person training program but the logistics of it weren't really working because we didn't have the huge funds to pay for training and staff and get people out there and travel and everything. Um, it was quite limiting. So one of the guys, trustees, suggested making it an online training program similar to the NHS stuff that he has to learn. Mm. So in the process of, of, of making that possible, uh, we've just got Peter Aitken, who is a a uh, psychiatrist, a former psychiatrist of the year, and he works with suicide prevention very closely in the southwest. So he's actually come on board as a trustee and is actually going to help us make sure our training is as efficient as possible for those barbers. Um, not only is it going to give them training in being able to recognise the signs, being able to uh, talk once they recognize the signs being able to talk to those clients using the right sort of direct questions that we often mm. avoid mm. um being able to most importantly being able to listen with empathy and without judgment and then finally being able to signpost them to the existing resources that are available and then this will make us bridge that gap between the communities that we serve and the organizations that exist uh, without trying to make barbers into counselors or give advice or we're just befriending, similar to the Samaritans, I suppose, but then being able to signpost people onto onto other organisations. And finally, what I really, really want to have in that barber talk is an ongoing support for the barbers also, 
because it's really difficult if you've got people coming in and sitting on a chair and telling you that they want to kill themselves mm. or telling you that, you know, they, uh, they, they've got depression and they're going to leave their wife or all these, or their wife's left them or anything like this. It's, it's a lot of pressure on the barber as well. And sometimes maybe you won't know what to say or sometimes you want to vent and let get those things off your chest if you find they get you down. So I'd like it to actually include a online support system as well. So the barbers, you know, their support there, there'll be sort of secure, safe chat rooms online within the barber talk where barbers can converse with each other and look for support on what's happening and be able to vent. So it's not just a training program and see you later, goodbye. It's a training program that carries on and will improve at all times and also offer them the support they need. And that's the, that's the biggest thing for me with the Lions Barber Collective is to get the associated barbers. You're obviously in the UK, but I know that you travel a lot. So is it is it branching out beyond the UK? Yeah, I mean, we've, we get a lot of uh, a lot of emails from well, all over the world, Australia, America, all over Europe. Um, so, it's, I mean, it's the thing is, it's a problem everywhere in the world, mm-hmm. and anybody can anybody can get involved. People want to be part of the Lions, which is which is really flattering, and want to be part of the pride, as we call it. And together, we're stronger. So, the more people we have on board, the better. We actually uh, developed a thing called Barber Talk Light, which is like an online awareness questionnaire. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a multiple choice thing. You can just go on our website, which is alliancebarbercollective.com, and go on the Barber Talk and hit Barber Talk Light. And then when you get 100% on the questionnaire, it's multiple choice. You can use Google. You can, you know, it's just more of a way of getting that knowledge out to people. Mm-hmm. And people complete that, and then they get a certificate, a window sticker to say that this shop is a safe place or mm. supports mental well-being and then you get a place on our little google maps on the website so that if somebody is suffering and they hear of us they can have a look on the map and see if there's anybody in the area that is not necessarily trained but willing to have an empathetic ear to listen to them mm. because i mean let's face it, it it takes very little training to just listen to somebody and, and offer that safe space in your chair so anybody can do that um look after the people we not just in our chairs but look after everybody in our lives you know yeah it it must be so difficult i mean you've alluded to it there but uh being a barber and if somebody somebody confi- confides in you that they're struggling with depression um and have had suicidal thoughts and then then they go on their way and then you know they're not going to come back for a haircut for say another month or something like that 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 must be so difficult not knowing if they're going to come back it seems like a, a a really important role that they can play but it, it must be it must be so difficult when they're just there for that the barber's just there for that that short sliver of someone's day it can be very difficult it can be i mean one thing that we can do one thing that i've seen from talking to people within mental health services and and courses is that generally when people want to take their lives they normally get all their affairs in place mm-hmm. so actually you know, if somebody has an appointment with a hairdresser, uh, they will normally fulfill that appointment. Right. This is what somebody was telling me who was a uh, mental uh, suicide prevention trainer. So she said it's actually a really unique position because when they leave, if they are, if they've told you they're depressed, you can sort of say to them, "Look, we'll make an appointment for next time, and you come and see us." And we, you know, and and you can kind of give them something to look forward to mm. at the same time. Which is, I'm not saying we should we should uh, we're responsible for keeping people alive, but. It, it kind of gives them something else to look forward to. You have that relationship, and that connection. It's and kind of a light at the end of the tunnel all the time. Something else to do to complete, and you know, have that hope. And without hope, there isn't future. So you know, you've got to keep on providing that. And I mean, we've me personally, 
I probably have got, I've been told that I get too involved with people because I see them as my friends. And that's me personally. That's not something that we say the Lions have to do. The idea for the Lions is to bridge a gap mm. um, and hopefully help signpost people. But I've got people who've come and sat in my chair that I've known. For example, one guy, I've known him since he was three, four, <laughs> and he's uh, a fully grown adult now. And he told me he wanted to take his life. And, and I sort of made used my suicide intervention training with him and invited him along to our Lions Walk, which we have once a month, where a group of guys, we go for a walk along the coastline here in Torbay, where we live on the mm. southwest of England. And uh, we just support one another, really. It's just a, just a support group, but not inside a dingy hall, just on the coastline, which is very really nice. I invited him along to that and gave him the time, let him talk to me. I think I sat with him for about three hours and got talking to him and talking to his and agreed with him to make a plan to talk to his mum and help his mum keep him safe and and he's actually since then he's seen he's got medical help and he's actually much better now which is fantastic but i don't we don't say that you have to go that far into it mm. i mean that's my own personal thing and why i'm so passionate about it, the whole suicide prevention and mental health how, how do you personally stay stay strong when you're listening to these people who become friends presumably how, how yeah. do you how, what how do you stay resilient i think to start off with i was very scared when people actually told me that they want to take their life or depressed or i didn't know what to do i felt awkward and worried and afraid well since i said publicly that it's okay to talk to me i think that's the biggest thing i've done and the biggest thing anyone can do is just let people know publicly tell people if you want to talk to me i'm here for you mm-hmm. um that's the biggest thing I did, which enabled people to open up to me. But I've, you know, I've had a bit of training, and actually now I see myself as privileged that people want to tell me that. People want mm. to tell me that they are depressed, or people want to tell me that they are suicidal. And I think that kind of gives me a bit of purpose. Um, if I can help them, and they think that if they think that I'm the one they want to talk to, then that's that's a, an amazing, an amazing thing. And like I said, I feel privileged that people want to talk to me. If things are getting heavy or on top of me then i've lucky i've got a good support network which i would uh, advise anybody to get got, i'm very lucky i've got a close family and my wife is fantastic and we have the lions ambassadors now which is a group of uh, 11 barbers from all over the uk and ireland and um we have group chats where we can go and support each other and talk to each other on there so if you want to vent to somebody you've got someone to vent to basically mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what's the typical day like for you now are you still cutting hair each day yeah you know, I, I i do still cut hair a lot of the time i'm kind of doing house calls or events or i mean i teach haircutting i was just moved back from norway i headed up an academy out there and i was teaching young barbers or new barbers uh, i now live back in the uk and my main focus is probably the charity i work with some hair brands creating education for them on a global scale and delivering that education and i spend a lot of time going around promoting the lions as well i get it's kind of twofold because i'm doing stuff with education with certain brands i can actually then spread the word of the lions also mm. so it kind of gives me a, a something to sort of i don't know almost piggyback off and if these people are here and they want to learn about their new skills for haircutting then you know, I can actually throw the lines in there a bit and talk about how you as a barber or hairdresser can actually help those in your chair also. So I, I'm kind of like a, a weird role at the moment, really. I'm kind of freelance. I do a bit of education and I travel to, I'm traveling to America next week to do some stuff in California and then New York to see a friend out there who's just opened up a barbershop there and he wants me to come along and just talk to his guys and 
talk to him about lines and talk to him about different barbering, British barbering techniques. And yeah, and then, and then I'm back again. I've got a book coming out actually. And I've written one book about barbering called The Barber Boom, but I've actually got a book that's being published about mental health and the lions called um, Barber Talk, hmm. uh, Taking Pride in Men's Mental Health, which will be out in March. And that's working with Trigger Press, who are part of the Shaw Foundation. And actually they write and sell, the, we write books and they sell them to raise money for the Shaw Foundation, which is mental health charities so it's kind of a really cool way of raising money for charity because they're creating value rather than asking for donations mm. if you know what i mean Amazing. so that's that's really exciting um but yeah i mean I, I never did i think 17 years ago that i would be running a charity writing books and and <laughs> cutting hair on a global scale that was never the, <laughs> yeah. uh, never the idea really um but yeah, it's amazing it goes to show what a great industry and what great community the hair industry is because we work with people yeah all day every day and we're in the business of making people feel better anyway physically and we've always made people feel better mentally as well because if you look good then generally you feel a bit better mm. and and hairdressers listen on average two thousand hours a year so they do a lot of listening professional listeners basically that's what i was wondering do hairdressers would you say tend to tend to listen much more than they talk what, what's your experience of of that i think it all comes down to the individual and you build up rapport with people some people want to come in so, you know, like moving away from people wanting to come in and talk to you about their mental health. But, you know, not because not everybody wants to do that, but some people will come in and they don't want to talk to you. And, you know, that might be good for their mental health because it's the only hour out of their week where they have a quiet and peace and just don't have to look at their phone, don't mm. have to talk to the, you know, sort out the kids or have something from the boss, tell a project from the boss. They can just sit there for an hour and have someone play with their hair which is a nice piece of downtime <laughs> others want to know what you've been doing they want to come in and say so what have you been doing you know where have you been how's your family things like that and then vice versa some people want to come in they want to tell you all about the things they've been doing mm-hmm. that's part of the skill of hairdressing and barbering is to know when and where to talk and when to listen if you get someone in who um doesn't particularly want to talk but you you spot a problem you sense that there's there's some underlying depression or something there how do how do you how do you proceed if they if they don't want to talk the beauty of barbering hairdressing is you see people regularly but enough of a gap in between to notice any changes Mm. so if someone comes in and they're normally very happy but then they have this uh they come in one time they're, they're obviously very depressed and you notice these signs you can always ask them outright if they don't ask yeah then they don't want to talk to you and say to them are you okay Mm. um and if it depends on how the conversation goes but you can even ask them do you think you may be depressed because that's something that they may be thinking but they don't want to say it's not because it's not okay it's a bit of a taboo to say i think i may be depressed but if you give them that okay and green light to talk about it it might give them that sense of relief that okay i can talk to somebody about this um and if they don't want to talk to you uh, one of the biggest things as well i keep on getting asked is what if I ask somebody if they're suicidal and they get offended and tell me, no, of course I'm not suicidal. Yeah. I said, well, look, if someone ever says that to you, if you say that to somebody and you get it wrong and, they, and they're offended, you just have to tell them that I care about you. I yeah. wanted to make sure you're okay. That's fine. That's great that you're not suicidal. It's fantastic. But I want to know that I care about you. And if you want to tell me anything, then I'm here for you. Yeah. And I'm sure nobody's going to be offended that you care for them and you don't, you know, you don't want them to die or you yeah. don't want them to be depressed. So, that's why I think people are scared sometimes to ask. As well as the the conversations you have, it it, it strikes me that the the space in which 
you're cutting hair is quite important so a barbershop can be quite a bustling place um and there could be quite a few other people there perhaps overhearing your conversation do, do you do certain things so that it feels more like it's just you and the barber and they're not going to be heard or they're not being watched by other people i think that totally depends on the barbershop itself i've seen barbershops that have their own um like separate sections for each person i've seen other barbershops that actually have their own vip rooms or separate rooms you know for if you, you know, perhaps wanted to have that kind of service but to be honest with you i think when you're in a barbershop and everyone's working you're kind of so caught up in your own uh conversation in your own barber your connection you're not really listening to other people and people don't we're not forcing people to talk about it if they're comfortable to talk about it in that situation and go ahead and talk about it and in the same time i've had other situations where people were talking clients were talking to me about debt for example uh, this is one occasion someone talked to me about debt and how they were struggling about this that and the other and i was talking to him and the guy next to us overheard and said oh i just met this accountant and he's sorting this out for me and Blah, blah, blah. And then a few of the guys got involved, and it kind of became sort of like a group counselling session where everyone got involved, and the guy left. And next time he come in, he'd actually gone to see the accountant that the bloke was talking about and, and, and sorted everything out. So wow. actually, if the guy wasn't, if the guy didn't overhear that, then he wouldn't have had that input, and he may have still been struggling, and he was in a much better place. So sometimes, you know, it's great to hear other people's opinions. Other times, when people talk it through themselves, because it's out of their head they kind of come up with their own solutions. Do you mm. know, like when something's going round and round and round in your head, and we've all had it where you lay in bed at night thinking about stuff you've got to do or something that's wrong, or and it gets worse and worse and worse when it goes round in your head. But actually, if you speak to somebody about it or write it down and get it out of your head, you kind of work out the solution yourself a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that kind of happens with guys. You know, they'll come and they'll talk to me about stuff and they will realize that actually, without any input from me, it isn't that bad. And if they do this and this and this, they'll be sorted. But it's just having that freedom of speech without that fear of judgment. Yeah. Just, just finally, people listening to this who are inspired by what you're doing, they might not be a barber, but they want to be able to support people in their community in this way. What, what are some simple tips? What would, you, what would you suggest to them? Let people know that it's okay to talk to you. The biggest thing you can do is publicly tell your friends and family that if there's any, anything wrong, I'm here for you. You shouldn't ever say that I know how you feel because... You know, if I lost my father and you lost your father, we'd both feel differently because we'd have different relationships. So mm-hmm. to say to people, look, I don't know how you feel, but I'm willing to listen to you explain to me how you feel. I'm not going to judge you and I'll listen with empathy. So you know, just let people explain them themselves and give them that freedom. Because, I mean, I know I've been there where things have been bad in my life for whatever reason. And people go, oh, yeah, how you feel. It'll be all right. I did this. But actually, they don't know how I feel. Because that relationship or that thing, object, whatever it was that I, I lost or uh, having problems with, is completely different to their relationship with that same thing. So don't tell people that you know how they feel. Just let them know that you're willing to let them explain how they feel without judgment and with empathy. Publicly tell people it's okay to talk to you. And you know, we require very little training to, to listen to others. And... Um, we can do that to the people you know, we, we know, the people we meet. It doesn't have to be in a barber chair. It can be our family. It can be, it can be anyone. That's great, Tom. Thanks for your time. No problem. Thank you for having me. Is, is there anything else you'd like to add? Anything? Something I'd like to just add to that last bit. If you, if you for uh, a, site, a very easy way of spotting a problem with somebody is 
looking for very extremes very quickly. So gaining a lot of weight, losing a lot of weight, sleeping too much, not sleeping enough, you know, very changing moods, like very happy to very sad, very, you know, they're, they're, they're very um, easy signs to notice. So just as a, as a put that out there, so if you notice your friend has gained weight very quickly or lost weight very quickly, then that could be a sign that something's not quite right for them mentally also. Um, and finally, just to say the Lions Bible Collective is a charity now that we have two main goals. One is to raise awareness for suicide prevention and mental health and lowering the stigma and taboo. And the other is to educate barbers. If anybody wants to get involved and become part of the pride or be a future ambassador, then just get in touch via the lionsbiblecollective.com. There's an email uh, contact on there and we'll get back to you as soon as possible and if you want to just go ahead and do the barb sort of light and become part of the pride that's on the website also and that's global any anyone in the world can yeah anyone in the world can do that yeah yeah anyone in the world can do that and if you know say there's certain things on there because when we did it we didn't expect it to be global so there's certain things on there that are british kind of things mm-hmm. but you know if it's not about do you know these things? It's more about getting you to understand these things and what kind of things are there. Mm. So if you need to use Google to go, oh, so what is there for that? Say one of the questions is about ex-military, what kind of things are there for ex-military people? And of course it's UK based, but a lot of UK people don't know that. So they've had to, barbers I know, have had to use Google to go and say, oh, I wonder what it is. And therefore they're learning. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like a, a, an exam where you've got to know everything. Yeah. It's kind of like a way of, it's an awareness questionnaire, essentially. Uh-huh. That's what it is. But yeah, that means you become part of the pride. You get your window sticker, your certificate, and you get a place on our Google map as well, which is on the website. So there you have it. That was Tom Chapman from the Lions Barber Collective. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I just want to remind you that this podcast and radio show is for you. No matter where in the world you live, this is intended to be helpful to you and people in your community. So if you have feedback on the show or if you have ideas for future interviews, then I would really love to hear from you. You can reach me directly via email at jake at arikanetwork.org. You can leave a review or comment on our SoundCloud page or Facebook page or Twitter. And if you'd like to know more about us at Aruka Network, then visit our website, arukanetwork.org, where you can even become a member of our network. So there's something for you to think about. But that's it for this episode. Until next time, bye for now.